Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Uh, Christ's richest blessings to you this day, which we are on Friday of the first week in Easter. And this is a recording of the Key Row Film Society, and I am Pastor Neil Wemus. Uh, last week, I did a little bit of a, I did a recording where I reviewed the movie The Shack. Um, at the very end of the movie, I mentioned that I would like to do a more positive review of um, of a more uh, of, of Christian some Christian movies. So today we are I'm going to look at two different movies, one that is in theaters currently, and the other one that was came out in theaters last year, but is available on Netflix or you could purchase it on Amazon Prime. Uh, the first movie we are going to look at is the movie uh, I Can Only Imagine. Uh, and I'm not going to go too depth with this, because as it is for me and my habit for recording, uh, I don't really like uh, diving into deep on a movie that is currently in theaters. And the reason for that is because sometimes the good stuff if I go into it, it might be a bit of a spoiler. Uh, but the other reason is, is that when a movie is, without watching a movie, you know, on DVD or whatever, it's hard to sit down and, you know, focus on some of the details of the movie, uh, some of the details, especially in terms of script. And so for that reason, I tend not to do too in-depth of a review. And so I'm going to give kind of a basic review of I Can Only Imagine. So last week, I had talked about... Uh, actually, before we go into this, I'm going to play... I, sh I suppose I should probably play the trailer. So here is a quick little playthrough of the trailer for I Can Only Imagine. It's an amazing song. It just kind of happened. Took about ten minutes, I guess. Art, you didn't write this song in 10 minutes. It took a lifetime. How'd you do this? You know, I've never told anybody my story. When I was uh, 11 years old, life was tough. Where's Mama? She's gone. She don't want me no more. She don't want me neither. And I've always loved music. I found some songs that I just, I held on to. They gave me hope. Mercy me, that can't be his real voice. Because I needed it. Yeah, I can do this. No, you can't. And you're going to blink your eyes and you're going to realize that life has got you nowhere because you chased some stupid dream. I can I believe it, Shan. I want you to know that I pray for you all the time. Well, and I hope that you find whatever it is that you're looking for out there. What are you running from? My dad didn't write about it. Let that pain become your inspiration. I have some stuff I need to sort out. And I deal with it the only way I know how. And that's to write a song. You hungry? I set the table. What is this? I want to make things right. All right, so this movie, I can only imagine, it's right now out in theaters. And so I got to start out with a little bit of a precursor, like I talked about last year, or disclaimer, I guess. Last week, I talked about, when I talked about The Shack, I talked about how we um, review movies and how we have to hold it to a standard. Christian movies, I think, are a very interesting situation because... 
many people have a tendency to that when they see the movie stamped with a Christian label, they instantly say, ah, this is a good movie. Whether they, no matter what, they're going to think it's a good movie because it's made that Christian label. And understand, um, people in the secular side of things tend to go the same way. Uh, feminist movies have a high tendency to do this. Um, where, I mean, how many people were saying that Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters remake was so great because it's an all-female cast. And the thing was, it was a, I'm sorry, but it was an awful movie. You know, uh, objectively speaking, it was not a very good movie. And, but it got, you know, huge props because of this heavily feministic movie. Um, and there's some movies that are are good, but are considered even better than they really are because they get that stamp. So again, another example, going, using superhero movies. In the last two years, there's been two huge superhero movies that broke down major barriers. So way back in... Um, in June of last year came Wonder Woman, which I thought was a great movie. I loved Wonder Woman. It was a good movie. But there are people that are screaming, oh, this should be a Best Picture nominee. And I'm like, no. I mean, I get it's It's pretty cool that there is this huge, successful superhero movie that is led by, a, has a female lead. That is awesome. All right. I'm not denying that. But it wasn't the best movie last year. It was not the best, it was definitely not worthy of a Best Picture nomination. I mean, it wasn't even the best superhero movie last year. If any superhero movie deserved an Oscar nomination last year, it was Logan, all right? Um, similar things going on here with this year with Black Panther. Again, culturally incredibly significant. Be again, because it's the first major black superhero movie to really be good but again it's not i don't think it's it's not really the best marvel superhero movie i mean people are saying well this is the first marvel movie to say something like civil war had something to say um winter Sol basically all the captain america movies have had something to say at least those um even guardians of the galaxy volume the guardians of the galaxy movies had something to say it just didn't fall into your political, your um, your favorite politic. So here's so that's something that the left, the the secularists do. In Christianity, we kind of play this game where we see something they stamp that name Christian on it. All of a sudden, it's got to be good. And we can, and the problem is, is when we do this, on both sides of it, we make it look when like for with Wonder Woman. Um, actually, I'll go with Ghostbusters. I'm going to use Ghostbusters. That's a better one because that really wasn't a good movie. People say, well, this has got to be a good movie. They started acting like this was a good movie just because it had a bunch of women instead of men. But the problem is when you do that, you're treating women as if they're a handy. It's a handicap. Because they're women, they can't. We're going to call a less than good movie just because women really can't do as good as men. Or... We're going to see a less than good African-American movie and say it's really good because they're just not as good as the white guy. If it's a white guy, I mean, we're going to put them to high standards. But was it an African-American or a woman, we're going to really lower the standards. And when it comes to Christian movies, some reason, we're even worse. I mean, a movie that would be completely unacceptable on if we're any other topic. If it's got that Christian stamp, it's considered amazing. All right, so Christian movies should not get a pass just because they're Christian. We got to hold them to a standard of quality. And here's the thing is if you, there are incredible movies that are Christian, explicitly Christian. I mean, The Passion of the Christ is the obvious one. Um... Ten, I mean, I know these are older, but Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur. I mean, Ben-Hur is still regarded as one of the greatest movies made ever. And yet, and it was extremely Christian. And so, and there's a multitude of, I mean, The Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe. That came out a few, I know it's been a few years, but again, a Christian movie. So, it's not a handicap to be Christian, okay? 
Christians can make good movies. The Lord of the Rings franchise, even though the directors and everything, they're not Christian, but the the guy that wrote the novel, J.R.R. Tolkien, was a very strong Roman Catholic, and his faith just bleeds through those those stories. So you watch Lord of the Rings, you're getting a kind of a pretty Christian story. And so um, you can have great stuff from Christian writers and filmmakers and everything like that, Christian artists. So it's not a handicap. With that being said, if you listen to some of my other podcasts, I, I, go, right, I go hard after the Christian moves. I, go, I went hard after Sh- the Shack last week. Um, you could look out in the past. I went hard after um, God's Not Dead. I can only imagine I can't do that because it's actually legitimately, I believe, a good movie. It's got good acting. It's got a good story. It's got multi-dimensional characters. These people that you could totally relate to and connect with. There's not like any of this mustache twirling villain that's notorious in many and many uh, Christian movies. And by the way, I should put a little disclaimer. A movie I talk about Christian as a genre. A movie is isn't Christian. Technically, any movie that's directed by directed or written or produced by somebody that's a Christian, um, it's a Christian movie. Technically, if you actually under if you actually think about the way sanctification works, but those movies that fit into the genre of Christian, okay. Amongst those, you know, a lot of them have, in that genre, especially in recent years. Like I, I, I can't help but think of God's Not Dead 1 and 2 is that the villains, the bad guys in the movie, or the antagonists you know, they're they're kind of the mustache twirling villain like, ha 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 ha, I'm like a bad guy or, you know, it's like it's almost Saturday morning cartoon villains they're so bad and and the problem is is in so much in those movies they're not, doesn't it really feel like they're concerned about people coming to faith, it feels like it feels like they're trying to pat one another on the back, like, we're a Christian, <laughs> look how awesome we are. But I can only imagine does it do that. Everybody in the movie is fleshed out and well-written, well-acted. I mean, uh, Dennis Quaid is Arthur Miller. I don't, um, so the, okay, I got to step backwards. The story of I Can Only Imagine is all about the story behind this number one chart-topping song known as I Can Only Imagine. And in the movie, and so in the movie there is the character Bart, and this is a biographical movie, which I think probably helps with its quality, but Bart Millard is the guy that wrote the book, the, the song I Can Only Imagine. And in the song, he, and he, in, in the inspiration, he has this these tension with his father, Arthur Miller, played by Dennis Quaid. And I'm going to tell you, both of them. So, J. Michael Finley, who plays Bart Millard, and Dennis Quaid, who plays his father, incredible acting performances. Dennis Quaid, I, I honestly don't think they will do this, but, and I, and I know it's really early in the year, but it's almost a... I mean, this may be extreme, but it's almost an Oscar-worthy performance. It's almost worthy for a Best Supporting Actor. Now, I don't know. There might be some really good stuff along between now and December and, you know, might kick it out of that contention. But at the moment, it looks like a, it's a really good performance. And Trace Adkins, you know, brings in a really good performance as... Um, Scott Brickle, the, the manager. Um, now, one of the things I would have to make a little note, uh, Nicole DePort uh, plays Amy Grant, and I'm going to say, I feel so bad for that girl because Amy Grant is one of the most immediately recognizable celebrity singers, even sh- though she's, you know, a Christian singer. She's, a very, she's got very mainstream appeal and in fame and notoriety 
And so I looked at her like, you're not Amy Grant. And nothing about her made me think this is Amy Grant. Uh, so, in fact, I thought she was some random news reporter. And so I, I feel bad for the writer in that part. It's like the really, really tough gig to cast that role. Um, but, I mean, otherwise, and it's, that's just a minor compl- issue. That's nothing huge. Um, really, what I'd say is that this movie, I could only imagine, it reminds me actually a lot of uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash movie with Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Reese Witherspoon. It's got a very, it's got a lot of similarities in terms of plot, and it's it's kind of like it is the Christian music genre's version of Walk the Line. And I think, I mean, it's not as, I'm not going to say it's as good as Walk the Line. It isn't. And it, because it's the it's number two, it came later, it's kind of hard to be better than what came first. Um, but it's still, you know, a very strong movie, good story. And in terms of the, and, you know, the biggest thing I worry about when it comes to Christian movies is theology. Um and, and honestly, I mean, there's things here and there. It's kind of small, but for the most part, it's fine. But really, it's not that bad. I mean, there's some decision theology here and there. But really, it's, you know, it focuses on forgiveness. You know, talk about, you know, last week, again, going back to the shack. The shack had this strong focus on the need of forgiveness and forgiving others. Well, and I, and I would not recommend that movie at all. Really, I wouldn't. I can only imagine deals with the theme of forgiveness as well. Very, very much so. But the difference is, is that um, this movie is a true story. And this is a real tension. And it is a true story about an individual who truly did forgive someone. And it really does speak to the power of the way the gospel does change lives. Understand that the gospel, the changed life is not the gospel. And I don't think the movie does that. I don't think the movie falls into that trapping, although that is a tendency among some Christ- some branches of Christianity. The changed life is not the gospel, but it is a consequence of the gospel. If you become when you become a Christian, when you hear the gospel and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, there's going to be consequences. You're going to be a ch- you may find yourself a changed person, and um. And in that, you know, I mean, you have this struggle of forgiveness. It it talks about that we are forgiven. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. It's talked about in the movie. I like that, but it's it talks about it as a motivation and a reason that just as we are forgiven, so shall we forgive others. And so it plays into the scene. And so this, I could only imagine, is a healthy way to discuss this because it it talks about the need of forgiveness without bringing in incredibly toxic themes along with it. And so, honestly, it's a very good movie, and I would encourage you to go see it. And I do warn you, bring some Kleenexes. It's, it's a very, very emotional movie. So, um, right now, you know, I'm recording this is this from St. Paul. But I mean, I'm recording this. I'm living in Ida Grove, Iowa. Um, right now, this starting today, Friday, um, it, is, it, it is showing at the theater in Holstein. And so I encourage you to go up and check it out. It is a good movie. It's worth, you know, whatever you're going to pay for it. It is a good movie. It's theologically, it's it's solid. And like I said, it's actually legitimately a good movie. Um, if I were to talk on a scale, five-star scale, you know, one being bad, five being awesome, I'd say it'd be, it'd be a three-star movie. I'm not going to call it's. I mean, other than, I mean, some really good acting performance and incredible vocals uh, from some of the actors. Um, I mean, aside from that, I mean, it's got some strong things, but it, it's it's a good movie. It's a very, very much a good movie. I'm, again, I'm not going to say it's an, uh, it should be winning Best Picture or whatever, but it is, it's one of the, it's a very, very strong step forward in the Christian genre of film. And, and I hope we see more movies like this where it does not <laughs> make a mess of things. And it actually does have quality like this one does. 
um, because I don't I I'm frustrated by poor art from Christian films because it I mean I know kid you know I work with these work with a lot of youth and I and I see these kids that love art they love music they they're in theater and things like that and I hate the idea that they watch these movies they're so poorly done and I'm I'm worried that they're gonna get the idea that to be a Christian and to be an artist means you have to be a bad artist when it's going to be farther from the truth. In fact, if you're a Christian, no matter what your vocation is, you're commanded to do it well. And I think this is a good step forward. And so, um, so with that, I'm going to, we're going to transition into the next, um, next, the other movie that we're going to view. And this one is going to be the one we go into more depth and that movie is The Case for Christ. If somebody wanted to do an investigation into Christianity, where would you start? If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, it's a house of cards. You sure you want to give me that loaded gun? I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to pull the trigger. I spent my entire career as a journalist uncovering the truth. my wife and my kids to something that I can't even reason with. What happened next will change me forever. How can we even talk about historical evidence for the resurrection? The Gospels are filled with contradictions. The empty tomb is based on evidence. And isn't evidence your trade? We all bet our lives on something. The question is, what's it going to be? As much as I would like to help out a fellow skeptic, what you're proposing is impossible. Could Jesus survive being spiked to the cross? There is no evidence of anyone ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Just because I write something down and I bury it in the dirt, it doesn't make it true. But I felt it was something more real than anything I've ever felt in my life. I'm praying for you. Do you really want to know the truth, or is your mind already made up? Stop blaming church and God and do your job. All right, right there was the trailer for the movie uh, The Case for Christ, which came out last year. Um, the Case for Christ is a movie that is based upon the true story. Again, this is like, uh, I can only imagine, it's a biographical picture. And so it's a biographical picture about the man, uh, Lee Strobel, who was a writer for the Chicago Tribune, and his conversion. Uh, the whole story was that his wife at one point became a Christian and because of changes within his marriage, changes regarding her, he eventually decided to explore his faith, I mean, explore, or explore the validity of Christianity. His goal was actually to disprove Christianity, to prove that it was a house of cards. And so he set out, he, he interviewed a whole slew of people. And you could go pick up the book um, on pretty much in a number of bookstores and, or on Amazon or whatever. You could go pick it up and read it for yourself. And he's had other books. He's had followed-up books like Case for Faith, The Case for the Real Jesus, uh, The Case for Easter, The Case for Christmas, things like that. And... All these books, he goes and he questions them. He asks some journalist or lawyer type questions as to um, the veracity of the Christian story, the veracity of especially um, the resurrection. Did Jesus 
rise from the dead. Now, the book, The Case for Christ, or the book for Case for Faith, and The Case for the Real Jesus, those are the big ones. Uh, they go in a lot more depth. They go into a lot of issues and a lot of stuff that the movie doesn't go into. But the movie is... And the movie takes um, liberties. Because I've read the book. It was a book that I read um, way back in... Uh, 2003-ish, somewhere in there. That's when I read it. And I read it because that was in my period where my... um the epiphany period of my moment, my life, that period where my faith was awoken. And so what I did was um, I began to, uh, you know, research the, when I began reading the books like that, I read books like The Mere Christianity and Case for Christ, learning how to defend my faith, to stand on it, the truth of Christianity. And The Case for Christ was a book that I chose to read. And it is a good book. It's got some good information in it. Understand, it is not the end-all and be-all of apologetics. Apologetics, by the way, is a, taken from the Greek word apologia, which means to defend. So you're not apologizing for Christianity. You're defending Christianity. And so The Case for Christ is an introduction introductory apologetics book it gets the very basic arguments if you want really 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 good stuff you know really in-depth stuff you do have the gary habermas's you do have the uh you know craig evans you have a number of um or alvin plantica down over in notre dame he has a number of people that you could turn to and listen to for the in-depth apologetics the case for Christ, the book, is introductory. And the movie, is what it's, they're doing with the movie, is they're blending the story of its conversion with the, you know, looking at the arguments. And so it's kind of a little bit of both. And so, again, I'm going to ask, how, what is the quality of this movie? Um, theologically... Is where I'm going to go. I'm going to start with the theological end of it. The only real theological, I mean, obviously, there's going to be some theological issues that I'm going to have because it is written from um, an evangelical um, standpoint. He was a his conversion when he was converted, he became a member of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, which, by the way, I've been to that church. Um, I, I visited there back in August. It's a massive, massive church. Uh, Bill Hybels was the pastor. Uh, and they very much focus on the decision theology. And to kind of be, I'm going to just kind of a, a fast overview of that. Decision theology is the teaching that you must make a decision for Christ in order to be saved. In fact, this does come out in the movie, and this issue slightly come, plays out, as it has done in a number of movies. And so there's, at the end of the movie... Uh, it's not. I'm not. It's not a spoiler that he becomes a Christian, right? He wrote a bunch of books. It's a novel, so I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, but when he comes, you know, after he's come to terms, they he come, he visits with his wife. His wife. He says, "So what am I supposed to do? Well, you got to pray and welcome Jesus into your heart." Well, the problem is, is that's not scriptural. We don't have anybody. You know, when Philip the, um, you know, the or the Ethiopian eunuch was speaking to Philip, he didn't say, Philip didn't say, oh, well, before you could believe, you're going to have to stop here, and you're going to have to say a prayer, because unless you say that prayer, you're not really a Christian, you're not forgiven. That's not how it works. The fact that he is in the case of the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, the fact that he wants to get baptized is the evidence of his salvation. He's saved. He's, the desire of baptism is the evidence of that. Um, so the thing is, same thing with this movie. Uh, they quote a verse from John 1 verse 12. It says, if you believe, you receive, and you become a child of God. That's kind of what she says. Well, the thing is, is if they went on to verse 13, you would read that is not by the will of man, but by the will of God. It's by the will of God that we come to salvation. Or as, it's, as Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, 
when he's probably in the context of what the movie portrays, he was saved probably in that basement when he came to terms with the fact that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that this is all true. Okay, so I deal with that. So that's the only theological issue. They have kind of a baptism scene. But the rest of it is good. It gives it the facts that it gives in the movie are good facts. Uh, Gary Habermas is one of the people he questions. Gary Habermas is like the guy when you're talking about arguments for the resurrection. He's the guy you go to. Um, his book, Did the Resurrection Really Happen? It's a book, and the book entitles entails the debate between Gary Habermas and um Anthony Flew, who was a prominent atheist at the time of the debate. Now Flew is now a theist. But Flew, by the time of his death, was a theist. So he believed in God, but he was not a Christian. He never became a Christian. But before that, he at the time of the debate, he was an atheist. And so um, you have that book, and it's a really, really good resource on the historical um, reliability of the resurrection. Uh, he... He interviews William Lane Craig, again, another very notable scholar um, in discussing the evidences of the resurrection. Uh, some of the details they have in there, admittedly, um, they're talking about new, they talk about New Testament manuscripts, talk about the 5,600 copies, uh, talks about the, the, the earliest manuscript is like mid-2nd century, which at the time that this movie takes place is true, but at the very at the moment, as we speak right now, today, um, they are there's a possibility of the discovery of a, a fragment from the Gospel of Mark that's even bigger than that fragment from the Gospel of John that dates to eighties or eighties or nineties A.D. and it's very very significant. The fifty six hundred copies. The number that they give in the movie is the modern number, which means probably when the movie, when this stuff all that really happened, the number was probably smaller. Um, there's even a little part where Gary Habermas, in the when he's debating with um, a guy that's probably Peter Singer, who is a is a very big, uh, much an very much an atheist, but he's a um, in the school of philosophy as a utilitarian. Um, a very prominent one. And so Gary Habermas is debating with him. And Habermas makes the statement about uh, the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians provides, or 1 Corinthians 15, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Paul quotes a creed that he said that he received that is of first importance. And uh, Habermas comes uh, makes the statement that they have discovered they have come to the conclusion that this dates to at the latest 35 AD so we're talking within 2 years of the crucifixion because the most likely date of the crucifixion was April 3rd at 33 AD and so uh you take and so the thing is is that that is a true detail but as far as I could t I mean I could be wrong but I believe that that detail was not actually discovered until much more recently. Um, it was, I don't think it was a discovered fact um, when um, Lee Strobel was going through his conversion. Uh, they did not include Metzger, who was a, Bruce Metzger, who was a very, very significant figure in the, um, especially talking about Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. Uh, they didn't include him. Um, obviously, they wouldn't have the real Metzger because the real Metzger died. Uh, but I mean, an actor portraying him. They, but I like you know that they included the medical scene. Again, um, I don't think I if I remember I'm not if I remember from the book I don't think they went into that. Maybe I could be wrong. I don't think they went into as much detail as they did there because again, a lot of the detail that's brought out in that, um, in that scene is actually comes from a scholarly article that was written by uh, a doctor from the um, 
from the Mayo Clinic up in uh, in Rochester, Minnesota. He wrote a significant medical document exploring the details of Roman crucifixion. And a lot of, and even some of the images that are, a lot of the, the comments and the images, again, were discovered a few years after the whole conversion stuff happened. So like I said, they take a lot of liberties in terms of the history, but the facts themselves are accurate. And like I said, they're they're trying they're bringing some of the more recent facts that were not really explored when um, Strobel would have been exploring these questions, but they are um, facts now nonetheless. The story itself is a good story. It's a put well to get put together story. Uh, like with I can only imagine the characters are full. They're well fleshed out. They feel real. And the reason is is because they are real people. They are real characters. Um, the you know, I've talked about God's Not Dead, and I you know, in that movie they really deal with this conflict between this student and this professor, the professor being the atheist and the student, the Christian, and they're fighting about whether it's whether or not God is dead. And what's really interesting, you watch Gods Not Dead, they spend very, very little time talking about the crucifixion, talking about the resurrection. Um, but one of the things is, is in that movie, um, in that movie, as well as in Gods Not Dead too, you have this issue that the atheists are really not portrayed in a very positive light. Now, Understand that Lee Strobel as an atheist was kind of a jerk, is what you get in this movie. And frankly, it's not totally outside the realm of reality. I've known atheists like that. And probably Lee Strobel probably told them to write, allow them to write that, say, this is who I was. This is the kind of guy I was. Write it. This is who I was. But on the other hand, the more... As he's exploring, there are two prominent friends that he gets connected with. There's the prominent Christian co-worker and there's the prominent atheist co-worker. And the atheist co-worker is a pretty good guy. Everything we could see in it. He's, he's, he's nice. He's friendly. He's not like he doesn't seem to be like just bitter and hateful towards Christianity. And so I thought he was a very well, good, very good character. It was respectful is a respectful portrayal of a non-Christian character. And I, I appreciate that because that has been a major problem in a number of the Christian movies. The non-Christian characters are portrayed so negatively. It was nice to see in the case for Christ that they are portrayed positively. And so, I mean, there's a lot... Um, one of the things, there's this little... Um, discussion um, between uh, Lee Strobel and Lee and his wife and he says this question that's feelings that's not proof he says this he's getting this argument because his wife is saying I feel this I want you to feel what I feel and he's saying feelings are not proof and he and I loved it because Lee Strobel his character is right feelings are not facts they're not proof they're not evidence and this is and i love that because again i'm sorry to pick up god's not dead but god's not dead the problem was in the first movie in particular i think the second one kind of started to fix those problems but in the first movie they're trying to prove that god's not dead and so they're responding to friedrich nietzsche's argument that god is dead and so Friedrich Nietzsche, when he said that statement, he looked around at the Christians, and they're saying that they believed in Je they believed in God. And he says, "Look at you, the way you act, the way you talk. You act as if God is dead. Why don't you admit it? God is dead. You have killed him. All right. So God's not dead. The movie is response to that quote. Well, when people would ask him, so is God real? He said, Well, to me, God is real as you and I. They kept on going into the the feelings, the subjective truth. Well, if you're, the argument is subjective, 
that is a dead god. And so um, Lee's wife was kind of falling into that. I'm not devaluing the experience, the emotions. There's value to that, and it's okay to have that emotion. But it isn't proof. Because the thing is, and this is, I'm going to go, I'm going to draw back to, uh, I can only imagine, all that movie was so awesome, such a good movie. And the father, it talks about his father was a man who was a monster. But by the power of the gospel, he was a changed and changed man, somebody he looked up to. All right, so it was an incredible, beautiful story. But here's the thing. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, nothing in that movie mattered. None of the feelings of Lee's wife matters. Nothing of the Christian faith matters. As C.S. Lewis said, if Christianity is, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, and they kind of reference this in the movie, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then none of the Christian faith matters. None of it. All right? But if he did rise from the dead, all of it, it nothing is more important. All right? So, so that's why he's exploring this. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, it doesn't matter what you feel. So, and I love that he explored it. He looked for the answers. Now, understand, i got to stop there for a moment. This is, what he's exploring is there's a, there's a tension between explanation and proclamation. Theology is for proclamation. I could explain away that God's existence. I could give you the most definitive proof there ever was that God exists. And you could come to terms and say, yes, I believe that God exists. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. But that does not mean you're saved. Because remember what the, what the book of James says. The demons believe that there is a God. And they shudder. The key word isn't belief. The key word is that. They, they believe God is a point of affirmation. And so that's the problem. Explanation actually puts God on our back. He makes God terrified. When we realize that there is a real and actual God, and in the case of Strobel, if he just stopped there and just stopped and heard that there is really a true God, he'd be terrified because all his life he's been rejecting him. He had this awful, awful relationship with his father. And... If he stopped there, he'd be standing in the terror of the reality of a real God and he would hate him just as the demons do. But the conversion came because he had heard the gospel. And the one that stood out was that mo the conversation with the Catholic priest. He says, why, why did he do it? He goes, and the reason? Love. It's for love. And so it's the cross. It's the message of of the cross, the message of the gospel proclaimed to him. See, that's the thing. We, we do need to talk about evidence. We need to learn about the evidence of faith of the gospel for our own sake. And sometimes, yes, to break down barriers for others. But ultimately, the most important thing we do is we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim Christ crucified died and buried for you, for sinners. And the movie got that. The explanation did not get him out. He had the facts. They were all there. He knew it. He knew Jesus was who he was. He had all the facts. But he couldn't believe it. God was on his back. It was like a, a thousand pound gorilla just bearing him down, crushing his very soul. Till the point that he rested in the message that he heard about the cross. And then, then, he believed. It's a, 
And it's a very it's a movie that very few people know about, and there's very little press about it. And I think it was a great movie. It was very well done. I mean, like I said, there's issues here and there. It's I mean definitely not a perfect cinematic movie, but it's good. It's good enough. So if we're gonna talk on a again scale of one to five stars, I'd say this is a three star movie as well. I I don't think it's as good of a three stars as I can only imagine because I can I can only imagine it has an even stronger emotional punch. Man, I guess I am an emotion. I am a little bit of an emotional softy, but to be fair, Case for Christ has a much stronger intellectual punch. But again, the th- the arguments for the faith are not super strong in this movie. I admit to that, but they're not trying to because it doesn't have time to go through every argument. It goes through as much as it can while still telling a story. So, so with all those, it's it's a good movie, and um. I encourage you, if you have not seen the movie, just and if you got Netflix, just look it up. It's on there. It's a it's a worth worthwhile movie. You get some very basic, rudimentary arguments, um, for um the Christian faith, for being that Christianity is what it confesses to be. So that's what I got for today. Um, I think I'm gonna come back maybe tomorrow. Or maybe Sunday with a podcast. Probably not going to be theological. It's just going to be a completely fun podcast. Because Sunday is going to be WrestleMania 34. I'm a pro wrestling fan. I admit it. I love wrestling. And I actually came across a really cool video about it. Um, but uh, just the other day. and Maybe I could talk a little bit about why I like wrestling. But anyways. Um, I'll come back with that. Talk a little bit about WrestleMania. and Getting ready for the excitement of that. But I don't know when the next time is I'm going to do a, a movie analysis. Um, it might be Avengers. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so with all that, I leave you. And so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Ida Grove, Iowa. This has been a recording of the Key Row Film Society. Have a blessed weekend. And I leave you with a little bit of the, the song I can only imagine, the, the, which inspired the movie. <laughs>